Hello, podcasters. Welcome back to Mr. Stroud's history class. This class today is going to be in remembrance of those who were killed in war. My Memorial Day class. Now, some of the podcasters I know. I know Dale and Kilgore, one of my better ones. I know Brian. His father was a Marine wounded in Vietnam. I know a few others. But what I do not know is if you knew someone killed in a war. I thought about this. I could go back and I could tell you about Marines that were killed on Iwo Jima, Bella Wood. But I didn't know them. And so what I want to do is I'm going to tell you about a few of the Marines that I did know. And before I do that, I'm going to tell you a few things about myself. All I wanted to do from the time I was in about the seventh grade was be a U.S. Marine. And in 1964, I enlisted. In those days, I went to Dallas. And I talked to that recruiter and I said, if I enlist in the Marine Corps, what can you promise me? And that Marine Sergeant leaned back in that chair and he looked at me and he said, if, and there was a question, if you can make it through boot camp, you would be a Marine to the day you die. And my gosh, podcasters, he was not lying. I could not sign on the dotted line fast enough. Now, if you get on my Facebook, you can look back and see the black and white photograph of me the day I left to go to boot camp. And podcasters, I'm going to tell you, I was not overweight. If you had me in class, you look at that picture, and you know when I got to boot camp in San Diego, that drill instructor thought I was way overweight. I lost 20-something pounds in boot camp, came out about 170. Now, why do I remember this stuff? I went there at 195. I played football. I knew what weight was. All the football players were conscious with weight, 195. Went to boot camp. Came out of boot camp about 170, 175. And out of Vietnam, when I walked in that Dallas love field and my cousin saw me, he could not believe what he was looking at. As 125 pounds. And he will tell you that to this day. And that's when I'd been out of country for almost two months. Now why did I tell you this? For those who were not in the Marine Corps infantry and in that war, it's the physical endurance that we went through. It's just unbelievable. Why did I tell you that? Because it's true. I did not think anything had happened to me. I made it just fine out of that war. I wasn't wounded. I had seen wounded. I carried dead Marines to choppers. I ate beside a wounded Marine to try to keep him from dying of shock with a dead Viet Cong just to my left. But me, I was just fine. 
nothing wrong with me. After I got out of the Corps, I did four for the Corps. I started college. War was behind me. Never gave it a second thought. Got my degree, started teaching at West Rusk Middle School, eighth grade history. Four years later, I got on at Kilgore College. And if you had me back in those days, I never mentioned I'd been in the Corps, never mentioned Vietnam. That war had nothing to do with me and I had nothing to do with it. And then, in 1985, one of the Marines in my company decided to have a battalion reunion. The name is Roger Warren, nickname Point Man. I went. It had been 20 years since I'd seen those Marines. The podcasters, I do not lie. And if I make something up, if I tell you it's an analogy, I will tell you that. This is true. I was scared. Driving to that reunion, I was scared. Well, Mr. Stroud, what were you scared of? I didn't know if I'd measured up. With those Marines in that platoon, and I counted them in my little book, there were 30 of us, 18, 19 years old. I was 20. It was different than now. And the only reason I know this is because I had veterans from Afghanistan and Iraq that would come visit me in the office. And they said, Mr. Straub, we come back from those patrols and we go get on the internet. We got our cell phones and we call home. Podcasters, we had none of that. You know what we had? We had each other. And that's all we had. When I enlisted in the Marine Corps, you could not be married and get in my Marine Corps. My best friend wanted to join with me and they would not take him because he had a wife. And we were told over and over, if the Marines wanted you to have a wife, they would issue you one. So there we were, 18, 19, 20 years old. No one else in the entire world except each other. We lived in the rain. We slept in the mud. We went through the jungles. We were in the firefights. We carried dead. We carried wounded. And all we had was each other. And podcasters, you cannot fake anything in those conditions. We did that for nine months. And I wondered if I'd actually lived up to what I was expected of. And when I got to that reunion, I found out I was not the only one that was worried about that. And I will tell you the truth, podcaster, I measured up. And so did all the others. When I walked in that motel in Ohio, I saw my gunny sergeant, gunnery sergeant Clifford R. Colby. If you read a, if you read a rumor of war, you'll see him mentioned several times. And when I saw him, podcasters, I had made it home for the first time. It was like coming home. 
and for three days and two wonderful nights, we had way too many memories. We had way too much to drink. What I had not realized when I said goodbye to those Marines after Vietnam, I said goodbye to the best friends I ever had in my life. When I got back to Kilgore College, I was different than when I went to that reunion. I bought a Vietnam veteran cap. I got me a Vietnam veteran bumper sticker and I put it on my pickup truck. And that's when I started noticing that all the other faculty there my age had not gone to Vietnam. They'd not even been in a war. I decided to teach a course on Vietnam to learn something about that war that I had a very tiny little part of. I taught that course for four years. It was filled every semester. The first course I had two Vietnam veterans in it. And the reason I taught it, I wanted to learn something about that war. And when the course was over, those students had bought me a book, an oversized photo history of the Vietnam War, and every student signed that book. I still got it. I changed. And then a young lady, a co-ed by the name of Kimberly, came to see me in my office, and she was doing a report on Vietnam for another history class, and she started asking me questions. And those questions made me do a lot of thinking. Not long after that, I was sitting alone at home with a computer, a little bit too much beer, and something hit me. And I started putting words on that computer screen as if I were throwing them up there. I was angry, I guess. When I got through, I did a few more the next night, the night after that. And then I called an English teacher friend of mine, Dennis Holt, and I read one of them to him. He said, get over to this house and bring those with me. He read every one of them. He said, you gotta publish these poems. I said, they're not poems, they don't even rhyme. He said, they're poems and you gotta publish them. Unless one were where you were, they could not have written these things. The college gave me a good deal. The print shop printed each one of those books, pamphlets, 33 pages with photographs, one dollar each. If you're an older podcaster, you may remember Barron's Bookstore over in Longview. I took them over there, took 300 of them. Within two days, they sold out. I got the college to print 200 more, sold them for $5 each, and then they were gone with a wind. Never been reprinted since, and I've never seen one for sale. I look on Amazon.com. If you look on Amazon and type in my name with the middle initial of Vernon, you'll see the books I've done. I had to give it a title. The original thought was to name it Short Burst, B-U-R-S-T. 
because that's the way the poems were. Most of them were short. Short burst was how an M60 machine gun fired. Three round burst. But I realized that most people wouldn't know what a short burst was, so I changed it. And what I called it was grazing fire. I like that title. That's a military, Marine Corps term. I'm going to read you the definition. Grazing fire. Fire which is approximately parallel to the ground and does not rise above the height of a man standing. That's deadly. So I called it grazing fire. Had an artist, a beautiful rangerette, and she drew the Vietnam Service Medal on the cover. I could tell you stories about how those people that bought those poems reacted, but I'm not going to. But what I will tell you is this. An English teacher at Stephen F. Austin State University somehow got a hold of that book and without my knowledge, he used many of those poems in a 300-level English class called War and Literature. He asked me to come down and read those poems to his class. And I did. But when I got down there, just for the heck of it, I don't know why, before I read the poem, I told why the poem was written. When I got back home, started teaching at the college again, a few days later I got a letter. Podcasters, this was back before email. It was handwritten. I've still got it. And this young guy said that those poems meant so much more knowing the background to them. And so what I did is I started telling the background to those poems whenever I would feed them. Now, if you get a copy of Grazing Fire, the background is not there. But you know where the background of those poems are? That's what I'm going to tell you. And in doing this, we're going to remember some of the Marines that I knew that were killed. Now, to begin with, as I said when I got home, I was fine. Nothing happened to me. I will tell you this, though. My mother said many years later that when I got home, I was wound up as tight as a spring. Then whenever the doorbell would ring, she would pray that it was no one to see me. I didn't know that. I thought I was just fine. But when I got home, there was a girl that I'd known in high school. She was beautiful. So I called her. I'd wanted to date her in high school, but she was going with my best friend, so you know, guys, you don't do that. But they had broken up. And so I called her to see if she wanted to go to the movie in Strand Theater, and she did. So I drove over to her house, had my uniform on, 
all 123 pounds of me. I walked into the living room. The father was there and said that she would be ready in a few minutes. And then here she came. Podcaster, she was beautiful. And she was smiling from ear to ear. She was as happy as anyone I'd ever seen. And then she said something. Tell me about the war. Podcasters, in those days, had you ever said post-traumatic stress to me, I would not have known what you were talking about. In World War One, it was called shell shock. World War Two, combat fatigue. Korea, combat fatigue. Vietnam, you know what it was called? Cry baby. Cry baby. Tell me about the war. It hit me. It was as if she had said, tell me about your vacation. Tell me about Six Flags. Did you enjoy the rides? And podcasters, words started coming out of my mouth that I did not want coming out, and I could not stop them. I told her about a friend of mine that was killed. She burst into tears and ran out of the living room, and her father screamed at me, get out, get out of this house, and don't you ever come back. You ruined her weekend. Podcasters, I left that house and I never went back and to this day I've never seen her again. And so when I pulled up to that computer, that came back. And so this is what I wrote. She wanted to hear about the war. So I told her about a dying friend on a jungle trail as the rain fell on his blown off legs and the corpsman held him in shaking arms and whispered lies into his missing ear. She did not want to hear any more about the war. When I talk about Vietnam, and I will tell you this, I don't do it. Very often, I do not do it. Those who were not there would not shut up about it. I had one just two days ago that would not shut up and nothing he said was correct. But see, they don't know it. Those who were there, we don't talk about it. A couple of weeks ago, I had lunch with a Marine that had been at Quezon. If you don't know what Quezon is, look it up. I don't know how you're going to find out about how 5,000 Marines were surrounded by 45,000 North Vietnamese for 77 days. I call him Quezon Walt. We didn't say two words about Vietnam. Except he was honest and he said, Stroud, I wasn't there the whole 77 days. I went in and out. That was it. When I talk about Vietnam, I will tell you what I saw among those 30 Marines in my platoon, and that's it. Or, I will tell you what I read when I was learning about the war, teaching that course. So I don't know if anyone else did this, but among my platoon, we would sometimes ask each other why we joined the Marine Corps. Why'd you join the Corps? One of my 
buddies, said the reason he joined the Corps was because he never wanted to join the Corps. He went down to the recruiting office, and in those days in the post office, and you had the Army, the Navy, Air Force, and the Marine Corps all there. Well, he knew he didn't want to be a Marine, but he didn't know whether he was going to join the Air Force or the Navy. And so he pulled a quarter out of his pocket to flip it and let that decide which one he went in. He dropped the quarter and it rolled into that Marine recruiting office and he went in there to get it. And next thing you know, he's in boot camp. And he told me, Tex, that was my nickname. I should have just let that Marine have that quarter. Another Marine told me that he did not want to join the Corps, but he went down during his lunch hour, and the Army, the Navy, and the Air Force, they all left to go eat lunch, and the Marine was still there, so he went in the Marine Corps and joined. He said, Stroud, I should have waited at one o'clock. There was another Marine. His name was Robert Fernandez. I asked him once, in my mind, we were in a bunker together before it got too dark. And I asked him why he joined the Marine Corps. I remember he kind of put his head down and he said something that no one else ever said. I don't know. And I thought to myself, he's not much of a Marine. He didn't look like a Marine. He didn't act like a Marine. I never heard him cuss. He read his Bible all the time. I'll be, we did not go, he did not go womanizing with us in the bars. Then one day in Vietnam, we'd been in some firefights. We came out of a jungle into a rice paddy. And then we heard something. yelled mortars a podcast if you don't know what a mortar is that is a artillery shell that comes up in an arc and comes right down on top of you somebody yelled mortars and we hit that ground if you were in a class you may know this when I was doing Bill Malden's book up front two thoughts went through my mind when I was hugging that ground one was, what will my parents think when they find out I'm dead? Because there was no way I was living through that. And the other was two words, it's true. What was true? Podcasters? I read Bill Malden's book up front back when I was in the seventh grade. I read the text and I looked at every one of the cartoons which were Willie and Joe, two combat infantrymen in the army in Europe in World War II. What was true? You get that book from the library and you look at those cartoons and you're going to find one where Willie and Joe are on the ground with German machine gun fire going right above their head and one of them, I think it's Willie, said, I can't get no lower, me button's in the way. And that's what was true, podcasters. Me button was in the way. It felt like it was as tall as a mountain. And then the mortar stopped. And I heard the scream, Corman, 
Corpsman. Marines don't have medics. We use Navy Corpsman. Fernandez was dead. We had about six wounded. The only one dead was the Marine. They didn't know why he joined the Corps. I wrote about him. I wrote. Ask him why he joined the Corps. He didn't know. He did not look like a Marine. He did not act like a Marine. But he was a Marine. I learned this the day I helped carry him dead to the waiting chopper. As the door gonna yell for me to hurry with my lost friend. My world has never been the same since then. Podcasters. When we got back to the hill, we were sitting there together, smoking, waiting to go back to our bunkers. Sun was going down. Nobody talking. Podcasters, I do not know of a single Marine in my platoon that shed a tear the whole time we were there. Not for friend or foe, but no one was talking. And a sergeant stood up in front of us and said, how many Viet Cong do we have to kill to make up for Robert? And a Marine said, there's not enough of them. There's not enough of them. I don't know what you think about terminology. Things that were said back in that day. I don't know how terminology comes about. There was a word that came about among the Marines I was with in Vietnam. It was about a Marine that had been killed. No one ever said he died for his country. It was one word, wasted, wasted. We went back to our bunkers. You are not going to remember as much when you get older as you think you are now. You just think about it. If you're a rangerette, you think you've got to remember when you were a rangerette for every day and every... No, you're not. You'll never forget you were a rangerette. You'll never forget a history class if you had Mr. Stroud. I hope you never forget. But as you get older, you're going to remember it just in little flashbacks. And they're going to get out of chronological order. And as I would say in class... I was not taking notes. At that time, I would not think that I would ever forget any of that. Now, what I'm building up to is that on one patrol, we were going to meet up with tanks. Now, see, all this getting ready. Did I even think how stupid is that? What are we doing with tanks? What are tanks going? No, I probably didn't. Somebody probably wrote, we are... Ours is not the reason why. 
wouldn't do any good for me to object or ask any questions anyway. Now, I was a radio operator. I carried a PRC-10 on my back, and if you look on my Facebook, you'll see a picture of me in black and white, staring into the sun, squinting, with the bill of my cover turned up, M14 in my right hand. My ammunition belt pulled way down because the backpack of my PRC-10 came down so far. I got 100 rounds of ammunition, M14 in my right hand, two canteens, a K-bar, that's a Marine Corps fighting knife, and a bayonet. Every step my lieutenant took, I'm right there with him. And so, out there somewhere, we met up with those tanks. And my lieutenant went over to talk with the commander of the tanks. And I remember right now, standing there beside that tank, and that hatch opened. And this young Marine comes out. A lieutenant. Had to be 21, 22 years of age. He was married. How did he get married when I say you couldn't? I don't know, but he was married. And he came jumping down from that tank. That's the happiest lieutenant I've ever seen. Had red hair. What was left of it because his head was shaved. And he did two things. First thing he did was something no officer ever did as long as I was in the Corps. He reached in his pocket, his shirt pocket, and he pulled out a pack of non-filter camel cigarettes, and he offered me one. And podcasters, I took it. And while I was smoking, he took his wallet out, and he showed us a picture of his little baby. He'd never seen him. He was born while he was in Vietnam, but he could not wait to get home to see that little boy. 20 minutes, one hour, two hours later, I'm sitting with this platoon, smoking a cigarette, waiting on medevac chappers to come in. There's six dead Marines in front of me. I never saw a body bag the whole time I was in Vietnam. They were lying on stretchers with ponchos over their faces. And when those choppers were coming in, they were so loud you couldn't hear anybody talking. And my lieutenant just started pointing at Marines and pointing at the dead ones, meaning get them on that chopper. And so I went over, and I walked to this stretcher. I was on the back, left, near the head of the dead Marine. The other three Marines and I picked that up, and we started going to that chopper with that blade spinning. Podcasters, his poncho came off. That was the lieutenant that had given me the cigarette. And his pack of camels fell out of his shirt. Years later, I wrote about that. He found his place in the world. After 19 years and a million tears, he found his place in the world. While humping the jungle green, the young Marine had a great fall and landed on the wall. Now he rests among the best, and we can find every one of them. My friend's place is nice and clean, and one never hears a scream until a mother finds her son on panel 2E, line 39, 
It happens every time. John Burns, Curtis Lockhart, Patrick Manning, Robin Falcon, Lonnie Snow, Fletch Paris, Robert Fernandez, David Rose, Kenneth Sicer, Hugh Sullivan Jr., Lawrence Jordan, Brian Gotha, Marshall Holmes, and Cal Berman. Podcasters. That's going to conclude the uh, class on Memorial Day. I know you could probably tell I almost got broken up on a few of these. It's amazing. One would think after so many years I could talk about it and none of that would matter. But it does. I'm going to just say this in closing. Often I would tell people that I may misremember things. But I thought I'd never forget those days in Vietnam. And At one of the reunions I went to, I was telling jokes to these other Marines and one Marine looked at me and he said, Tex, when did you become a comedian? Well, I grinned at him. I said, man, I've always been funny. I mean, I've told jokes since I don't know when. He said, Tex, I never even saw you smile in Vietnam. Even today, thinking about it, it's hard to remember what I thought back then. I don't remember, as I said, going out with tanks that that was stupid. I don't remember anything like that. I don't remember feeling sad for anyone. I don't remember any of that stuff. I did not remember that I did not laugh and smile in Vietnam. But then I looked at a photograph. Me standing with about 12 other young Marines and we were getting ready to go out, get on the six buys to go down and get on the choppers. And there I was smiling from ear to ear. Was I smiling just because there was a camera pointed at me? Did you ever smile in Vietnam? Memory is something. But those who lost people in that war or any war will never forget. I'm not going to say I hope you enjoyed this. Hope you did not dislike it. But this is my little tribute to Memorial Day. A remembrance. Now go have some fun. And I'll see you in class next time. And we're going to do The Lost Colony.